morning, everyone. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Well, Christmas is almost here. I'm Pastor John. For those of you that are visiting today and just kind of passing through, or it's just so good to see everybody. And uh, welcome on those online as well as we will rebroadcast each and every Sunday, uh, just in case you do miss. Um, Christmas, pretty exciting, I hope, for all of you. And I just really want to remind us all that uh, Christmas is exciting far beyond the gifts and the, uh, the trees and the decorations and all those things. We should be excited that uh, the holiday that, is, that we're celebrating is, has Christ's name in the middle of it or at the beginning of it. Uh, Christ is the reason, right? So as we do this, I just want to remind you that Christmas is different for everyone. Um, we all have different memories. We all have different things that Christmas means to us. Uh, some of us have been raised in uh, homes where Christ is celebrated, and some of us have not, and everything in between. Uh, we've had good times throughout the years, and we've had bad times throughout the years. And we could be in one of the good times right now, or we could be in one of the uh, tougher times right now. But I hope that you do remember that there is joy, like Jennifer said, joy in celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ. And we're going to do that today, and we're going to talk about how great a news that really is. But I really thought it was necessary just to really kind of help us understand that uh, Christmas is much greater uh, than sometimes the things that we make it. Um, we've been in this series, Come and See. Come and see all the great things God has done. Come and see the birth of Jesus. Um, through this, we started out our series, of course, uh, with the announcement, number one, which was um, John the Baptist being announced uh, to uh, Zacharias and Elizabeth, uh, which was exciting to see that. And then we, uh, we saw that, uh, you know, of course, John the Baptist was going to be just the front runner or the forerunner of Jesus. He was going to be the one that says, hey, Jesus is on his way. And we talked about this because how important that was is because there was a 400-year silence, uh, really, that God had not spoken to men through prophets and other things. And so for to have this announcement come forward was really exciting for those that were anticipating the Messiah. The second one was the angel made known to Mary that the Holy Spirit was going to um, allow her to or conceive a child in her without the help of her espoused husband, Joseph. Pretty exciting news. I don't know if that's ever happened to anybody other, other than Mary, but uh, it would be pretty exciting if it did, right? Of course it hasn't. It's uh, God's only son, the scriptures tell us. This is the only time that he's ever done this. And Mary was excited, but it, yet it, she wasn't um, afraid. She was anticipating what God was going to do in her life, and we, we kind of talked about that a little bit last week. This week, we're going to talk uh, around the good news that Matthew brings us about an angel talking to Joseph. And now Joseph, um, is, isn't it funny? The guys are always the last to know this stuff going on. But Joseph gets um, made aware that his wife-to-be is going to have a child, and he's not going to be the dad. Interesting news to get, isn't it? So um, we're going to kind of dig into that a little bit today. Um, 
Let's pray together before we start. Uh, and we'll, We're going to be in the book of Matthew, so if you want to flip your Bibles open or throw out your Bible app or whatever you have, that's where we're going to be. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time today together. Thank you for this entire season that is a celebration of uh, you bringing your son here after so long of a wait. And now we sit here 2,000 plus years on the other side of that birth, and we look backwards uh, to what you've done. Lord, I pray that you speak to us today and what that means to us individually and corporately. I pray if there's anybody here today still seeking your son, uh, that he would be made known uh, to them today through your spirit and your, into their hearts. Uh, Lord, just help us understand what you want us to understand today. Please use my words um, in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to begin, like I said, looking at uh, Matthew. Matthew is the very first book of our New Testament. Uh, and that in itself says something. Uh, we mentioned that there was a large gap of years between where the Lord spoke to mankind through prophets and through other writings and stuff, but then there was this big gap. Now all of a sudden, Matthew shows up with a gospel. And a gospel, the word gospel actually means good news. So there are four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and all of them paint the picture of the good news that is found in Jesus. But it's really interesting how Matthew starts out his book. You know, it, would, it, it just seems like, I guess if I was Matthew, I'd have done it a different way. Good, re good reasons for me not writing the first book of the New Testament, because I wouldn't have done it right. But he starts this way. He says in Matthew 1, verse 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. As we begin this book, it doesn't appear that exciting to me. When uh, you've probably read this, if you're like me, around Christmas time is the time that you kind of pull out Matthew and, and Luke and read through these books. But it doesn't really seem that exciting. It seems like, man, there could have been a more exciting way to bust open 400 years of silence, at least to me. Um, when you're reading through it, 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 it reads like a like a web page off of Ancestry.com uh, when you look at it. There's going to be a big genealogy here, and we're not going to go through those in details, but there's much to glean from that genealogy as we read through it. But the first 17 verses there just seem kind of meh. And it almost like I bet you, if you're like me, you just read it through, and you kind of just, oh, I'm glad to get through that. Half the names I don't know how to pronounce. Um, you know, many of these are either Hebrew names or their transliterations of a Greek word from a Hebrew or some kind of crazy translation through there. And it's almost kind of doesn't make sense. But it is good news for us to remember that this is a family tree. I know most of us are thinking Christmas tree right now, but family tree is what this thing really is. And it uh, both in Luke and both in Matthew have a little bit of family tree of Jesus. And it's interesting to me that after 
all that time of silence, this is what God opens up with. And this is what Matthew is making sure that we know. Now remember, all these events, when the Gospels are written, have already transpired. So unlike some of the prophetic uh, things that we read in the Old Testament, a lot of the New Testament books, especially the Gospels, are all about, mostly about, events that have already taken place in the life of Jesus. So when we read this, we can skip right past some of these things and not even really realize what we're reading. And I believe this very first verse is one of those things. Matthew states that this is the birth record of Jesus Christ. We need to be careful not to read too fast, of course, here, and skip past some of the really important things that are being said just in that very first verse. The name Jesus, if you're not familiar with what that name means, it means God is salvation. Now, Jesus, if you know anything about the times of Jesus, that name wasn't that uncommon of a name. In fact, there are a lot of kids probably called in Jesus' day, Jesus. Uh, it was a common name because people, parents, were anticipating God's salvation. The Hebrew people knew that God had made some promises to them. And so it would be honoring to, uh, in a sense, uh, note your faith by naming your child Jesus. God is salvation. It brought glory and honor to God. But as we found last week, both Mary and, and we'll talk about Joseph here in a minute, were told by an angel to name their child specifically that. And there's some real deep meaning in this as we see Jesus' life play out. But when we talk about having a big amount of silence in between, this is really good news, that Jesus is actually being born. So Matthew, after Jesus is already born, he's, he's played out his ministry, he's, he's went to the cross, it was the reason was he was born, he was resurrected, and now sits at the right hand of the Father. This is how Matthew is making sure we don't forget that Jesus is salvation. Uh, Jesus being his Greek name, of course, Joshua, if you see Joshua in the Hebrew, uh, that's really what this is moved on into the Greek, and we say Jesus to this day. But both have the same meaning. By calling Jesus the Christ, that meant that they were calling him, God is salvation, the anointed one. This is the promised one. This is the Messiah. This is the one they had been waiting for. So if we're, we take a few minutes and don't just skim over that first verse, it's pretty powerful when we learn that God's salvation is finally here. The anointed one, the promised one, has been born. And so what seems to be a, a little bit of a eh, ancestry.com kind of a webpage turns into be pretty fabulous. It actually ends up being really good news. So why is this good news? And why was it good news to those anticipating his coming? Well, Matthew states that Jesus is the Christ, but he's a descendant, it says in that first ver verse, of both David and Abraham. 
And if you know anything about the Old Testament, um, there were some promises made by God. God made some pretty key promises to the Hebrew people that something special was going to happen in the future. Um, any true worshiper of God at this time would have anticipated the promises of God made through King David and through Abraham. Uh, God speaks through the prophet Nathan um, one of the promises to David. He says in 2 Samuel 7, he says um, he's speaking to David in the sense as a prophet of a current event, but also of a future event. It's kind of a cool uh, prophecy here. He says, when your days are fulfilled and you, you rest with your fathers, in other words, he's telling David, once you're dead and gone, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Although David uh, did not uh, although God did not have David's son uh, Solomon um, like build his forever kingdom, he did have him build the temple, like his house. David was a, a man of blood. God didn't allow, even though it was his desire to build a temple or a building for God, uh, God did not allow that. Uh, Solomon would go on to do that. But Solomon would actually uh, fall into sin and he would... Uh, eventually die and not really have a forever kingdom. So we can see that this promise that is made all the way back from Nathan, from God, to, through Nathan to David is actually a future promise. And what Matthew is telling us this morning when he gives us this first verse that Jesus the Christ, son of David, he's letting us know that Jesus is that promise that Jesus is the one that will be setting up the future kingdom. He is the forever Messiah, the forever king. So this is pretty good news right off the bat. God had also promised a blessing to Abraham prior to that. Genesis 12, verse 3 says, I will bless those who will bless you, speaking directly to Abraham, and I will curse them who curse you. And in all the families of the earth shall be blessed. He also says in Genesis 22:18, he says, In your seed, all nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. God's promise would bless all families, and it would bless all nations. Every single person sitting in this building should be happy, should be blessed, that God was not just talking to Jews or not just talking to Hebrew people. He was talking to each and every person ever born, ever made alive. I hope that is good news to you, that God has promised a future and a kingdom that lasts forever for everyone. And he brought this through these two promises, David and Abraham. He's, God has made many other promises, right? But these things Matthew chooses to bring out because they're directly connected to the Savior, to the birth of Jesus Christ. Matthew's record of Jesus' birth starts with Abraham and ends with, in verse 16, he says this, And Jacob begot Joseph, 
the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called the Christ. So it's quite obviously Matthew's recording the birth record of the Savior, the anointed one, the Messiah. But notice, Joseph is just listed as the husband of Mary. It never says that he is recorded or doesn't say that, that Jesus is the son of Joseph. We learned last week because that was going to be, uh, Jesus was going to be birthed or conceived, I should say, conceived of the Holy Ghost. So Joseph really has no part as his real dad, but he does have a part as a stepfather. In both the lineages of Luke and of Matthew, will trace down these lineages. One tends to lean more on Mary's side, showing she is rightful heir. Her bloodline is to the Messiah's throne. And um, Matthew's is more leaned on the side of Joseph. That's why it ends with Joseph. And what's interesting is that Jesus inherits, in a sense, the throne through his human parents, through their bloodline. This is the promise that has come from God so many years ago. So, if Jesus is, has a stepfather of Joseph, who is his father? It's a pretty legit question, right? And, of course, we learned that last week of Mary, but let's follow how Jesus is, or excuse me, of Joseph is taught um, his role in Jesus' life. Matthew 18, 1.18 starts like this. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ, remember, Savior, anointed one, was as follows. After his mother was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, before they came together as husband and wife, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, a righteous man, and not wanting to make her public example, was minded, or he thought about this in his mind, he did not want to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David. Notice the tagline, son of David. Angels even acknowledging and reminding Joseph the bloodline from which he came, the bloodline in which this new baby would come, do not be afraid to take you, Mary, your wife. Why does he want him not to be afraid? He wasn't the dad. Look at all the public humility that would come from this. Look at all the disgrace. As you see here, he had the right to put her away or to divorce her. And he didn't want to do that. I believe that says a lot who Joseph is. Uh, God picked a really good man to, to be the stepdad of his only son. And so we see this, not to be afraid to take Mary your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophets, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted or translated means God with 
us. We sung about that this morning. We, we sang about Emmanuel. If you, if you knew that ahead of time, you were singing God is with us, God with us, as we sang uh, and talked about Jesus' birth. Then Joseph, being aroused from his sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took him to his wife, uh, took to him his wife, and did not know her, did not come together with her, till she had brought forth, forth her firstborn son. And he called his name Jesus. So what we see here is just like Mary, the angel of the Lord comes and tells him not to be afraid. Joseph is told to take Mary, his wife, even though she's pregnant. Interesting, isn't it? I know I, I constantly think about this. The very first time I read this in my Bible as a believer, my thought actually went to, what a guy. What a man. This, is, this guy's awesome. Because just the truth be known, not many of us men would do that. But he was visited just like Mary, told not to be afraid because the Holy Spirit had made Mary conceive. Uh, the angel's message is that Joseph should not be, would not be the father of Mary's son. Um, we know history tells us that he eventually would be the father of uh, natural children by Mary. We know that. Uh, her virginity was only there until the birth of Jesus came about. After that, they did come together, and they did. The Bible has a record of other uh, children. So God would be the stepfather of Jesus through the work of the Holy Spirit. Um, he also told God his son would have a mission, that there was a purpose to his life, that Jesus would save his people from their sin. Uh, just a quick reminder, uh, the Bible tells us uh, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So that even plays out for you and for me today, of course. And sins are nothing more than when we disobey God. Uh, when we do what we want to do, take on our own thoughts and our own will and apply that to our lives, we fall into sin. So this should be good news for you and for me that Joseph is being told uh, right from the get-go that this is the reason that Jesus is coming. This is the reason that he will be born, that he will be there to save his people from their sin. Um, like I said, we can definitely understand an awful lot about Joseph, who he was. Um, take some time this Christmas season and kind of walk through both, if you could, in the, the account in Luke and the account in Matthew, and really kind of just look at the people. And think about how you would respond, uh, especially us guys. How would we really respond if that's the kind of news that we got? But what a great comfort it must have been that they both got the same good news. Mary got the good news one day. Joseph gets it another day. And so as they're kind of figuring out what to do next, they kind of came together, I'm sure, and, and sat down and had to work some stuff out. But they both had the same news, and they both went ahead in faith. What comfort that must have been that even though they didn't know what was going on, what was next? But they knew that God had spoke to them both through the angel and that they could move on in faith. So why did Matthew begin his gospel, gospel with these two main truths? Not everyone believes. 
Remember this account that Matthew writes and Matthew pens down and that we read today was really because of unbelief. If everybody believed once Jesus came, there would be no, read, no reason really to kind of write anything down because everybody just believed, right? There, was no, there would be no need to have a record of Jesus' miracles or why he died or any of these things. But it's interesting to me that Matthew, what, as I began to study this week, was what seemed to be pretty boring. Maybe an Ancestry.com paragraph turns into pretty fabulous news. He came to make sure that you and I did not have to continue in our sins. He came to make sure we could be forgiven of sins. So 30-plus years after Jesus' birth, people were still looking for the Messiah to arrive. Matthew 22, go a little bit further in the book of Matthew, it says, while the Pharisees were gathered together, these are the religious guys of the time, who should have known more than anything about prophecy, scriptures, anything that was ever passed down through verbal communication, these guys should have known. Jesus stands there and asks them one day, saying, what do you think about the Christ? What do you think about the anointed one? Whose son is he? And they said to him, the son of David. Interesting, isn't it? Jesus standing right in front of them, and they knew that he was going to be the son of David, but did not know him as Messiah. Although the Pharisees were speaking directly to Jesus, they didn't get it. They didn't understand. They didn't know him. And did, definitely did not see him as the Son of God. It's one thing to see him as Messiah, but it's a whole other thing that they didn't even see him as the Son of God. Even though they were told by the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 7.14, we, we read this a lot around Christmas time because um, this really is a prophecy hundreds of years prior to Jesus even being born Isaiah says this he says therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign behold the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and she shall call his name Emmanuel God with us Pretty interesting, Joseph gets this son of David message. He gets this Emmanuel, God with us message. He gets this same basic message from the angel. But the Pharisees and any other religious leader would have had this message already in their heads at least that this is how Jesus was going to come to earth. This is how Emmanuel, God, was going to be with his people. So God be, um, Matthew begins his book by showing us that Jesus is Messiah King. His inheritance came through a human mother. That's how we all inherit things in a sense, right? If we've ever inherited anything, it's come from a lineage or a line above us. Um, and his stepfather th through his lineage as well. But Matthew also reveals that Jesus is divine. Emmanuel, God with it as the result of his virgin mother being impregnated through the Holy Spirit. 
As a witness and a disciple of Jesus, this is Matthew's desire was to create a permanent record of this good news. Why? Because he did not want this good news to be lost in time. It already was getting lost 30 years after Jesus was born. We see that by the Pharisees. Just 30 years in, not everyone saw Jesus as Messiah. Not everyone saw him as born of a virgin. Not everyone saw him as God. So, let's jump forward a little bit in time. Let's jump into our millennia. Um, if you're familiar with the Barna Group, they do uh, some studies. A lot of them are church-oriented kind of studies. They do surveys and polls and things like this. They polled Americans of all ages and all backgrounds, asking them a few questions about Jesus. Their findings produced some interesting results to me. One of their findings was the vast majority of Americans believe Jesus was a real person. In fact, their poll showed that 92% of the people polled, Americans, all races, all backgrounds, everybody believes that Jesus was a real person, that he came to earth that he once walked. He was a historical figure. Because Jesus lived over 2,000 years ago, um, for someone to believe that Jesus walked the earth, to me, um, they must have read some kind of a historical record of some sort or heard it from someone else that did believe that Jesus walked the earth. That's the only way that 2,000 years can go by and we still know about Jesus today. So that someone's told them, or they've read it somewhere. But in any case, much like the Pharisees in Jesus' day, they acknowledge the human attribute side of who Jesus is. That's all they acknowledge. As the study goes on, it says, however, when asked, is Jesus God? The younger, they, this poll found out the younger the person was, the less likely to believe that Jesus is God. And that's to me, is startling. So somehow, some way, the younger we are, the less likely we are to believe that Jesus is God. Doesn't mean that all the old people like me have a handle on it either. In fact, the, about one-third of young adults, 35%, say instead that Jesus was merely a religious or spiritual leader. The Bible's claim, of course, um, is that Jesus is God and born in the flesh. 17% of the people polled, they, were, they weren't even sure what he was. 17%. So 17 out of 100 people you cross, in, in a sense, uh, on a day-to-day -day basis, and not even sure what Jesus is. So that means there's probably not read any records of them, don't really care, uh, whatever may cause them not sure. Startling to me. Barnett's poll also showed that Americans are divided on whether Jesus was sinless. About half of Americans agree either strongly or somewhat, 
that while he lived on earth, Jesus was human and committed sins just like every other person. In fact, 52% of the people um, uh, say that that's the case. 46% disagreed that he committed sins while on earth, that he was sinless. To me, these polls are startling to some level. But this is why Matthew wrote his gospel. He wrote the good news. Inspired through the Holy Spirit, he pens down a, a birth record of Jesus so that we can know who he is and we can see that he is not only Messiah King, but he is the actual son of God. In disbelief, as we just kind of read through the Barnapole, is still a problem today, right? So why is disbelief or unbelief still a problem? Do you ever ask yourself that question? Why is this so hard for us even or anybody else to believe that Jesus was Messiah and that he is the Son of God? First, Satan is the prince of this world. And that's, Scripture tells us that. Paul, when writing to the believers in Ephesus, reminds them of the power that used to work in them. Uh, we used this verse a few weeks ago talking about Paul speaking to the Ephesian church, right? Ephesian believers. And he had to remind them of something. And he says in Ephesians 2, 1 and 2, he says, And he made alive who were dead in trespasses in sin. This is what Jesus does for us. He makes us alive. But what the reminder here is that they, those he has made alive were once dead in trespasses and sin, in which you were once, or you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. The Ephesians once walked according to the course of this world. Today we would call it going with the flow. That's what we would call it today. We wouldn't use those King James words, right? Or falling in line with the majority. That would be another term that we might use today. And the prince that leads that group is Satan himself. Jesus would later warn of um, the warning of people that are taking this path of those that are walking the course of this world, that are going with the flow, that are falling in line with the majority. He says this in Matthew 7, Enter by the narrow gate, telling you to take the less traveled path, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. So Jesus is telling us that the, the wide road, the one that's traveled the most, the going with the flow road, actually leads to destruction. And there are many who go by, who go in by it, according to Jesus, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. Because Satan is the prince of this present world, notice the uh, Bible never talks uh, about Satan as the king. He's just a prince, and if you know anything about a prince, he just don't want to be king. And that's what got Satan in trouble, right? He wanted to be like God, and he fell, and God cast him to the earth, and now he rules this world of, on those that do not believe. 
So, because Satan is the prince of this world, his influence on the world direction in this life is great. He has a great influence on so many of us. Many of um, are following Jesus, uh, and difficult is the narrow road, meaning it's hard to break away from the majority. It's hard. If, you, if you're sitting here today and you, did, you were living a course, uh, according to the course of this world, and the Bible says some pretty harsh things there that we were uh, really the sons of disobedience, is that's what we were. But if, you have ever, if you've given your life to Christ and this is who you are now following, it was hard to get there. It wasn't easy. Easy is the wide road just to go with the flow. And if you began to follow Jesus, you know all the difficulties of following Jesus. The disbelief that comes into your own heart, the, own, the, the, the navigating through this with friends and family that don't believe, it's not an easy path. There's persecution involved and there's all the other things. Uh, there's sin to denounce. We have to cut out some things in our lives that we shouldn't be doing. But at the same time, it wasn't an easy go. And it still doesn't, it isn't easy in, in, in everyday life. But this is what Jesus is calling us to, is the narrow road, not the wide road that Satan uh, is in control of. This is one reason unbelief is still a problem today. Another reason is Satan's a liar. And if you don't believe that by now, you've not been tricked, or you don't know you've been tricked. Uh, one of the things I hate most of all is looking back after I believed the lie of Satan and been tricked by it. And it just so aggravates me. I fell for that again. But Satan is a liar. The Bible calls him that. Jesus calls him that and calls any person that is in disbelief that uh, in John 8, 44, he says, you of, are of your father, the devil. And the desires of your father you want to do. We wouldn't admit that. We wouldn't admit that we are following the devil. In fact, you can ask anybody probably on the planet, pretty much, that do you follow the devil? And, well, no, I don't want to follow the devil. Do you follow Christ? Well, I don't follow him either. Well, what this is telling us, if you're not following Jesus, you are, your father is of the devil because you are doing the things that he wants you to do. That's what it means about the wide path. He's, it's easy to go down the wide path because I'm just doing everything that everybody else is doing. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources. And what that means, he makes stuff up. He doesn't, get, he doesn't have a, the word of God to go by. Oh, he'll twist the word of God, but he doesn't go by anything. He just makes stuff up. For he is a liar and the father of it. Jesus says the devil is a liar. The words of Jesus also make us aware of the fact uh, that we can follow the lies of the devil in disbelief. Put yourself in the devil's shoes for a moment. Uh, you know Jesus is the promised Messiah and the forever king. The devil knows that. Um, and he truly knows that Jesus is the son of God. He knows that. He knows Jesus is born of a virgin, and he knows that Jesus came to earth to save a people from his sin. What would be your goal as the devil? 
Of course, what your goal would but produce unbelief in as many people as you possibly can. And he's doing a pretty good job. This would be true. Just look at the, the words of Jesus. Look at the, um, the Barnapole I just kind of read off to you and the percentages. It seems like he's doing a pretty good job. When confronted with Matthew's record of the birth of Jesus Christ, each of us must think through a few things. If Jesus had a human father, if this is true, then the Bible is untrustworthy because the Bible claims he did not. The Bible, then, is nothing more than a, a great paperweight. We might as well just throw this whole thing away if that one truth is not true. If Jesus isn't God, then you and I are in big trouble. If Joseph was his father, then that means Jesus had a sin nature. And the perfect sacrifice for sin had to be a sinless lamb. Remember from the Old Testament? Jesus, the sinless lamb of God, shed his blood for the forgiveness of sin. But if Joseph was his real dad, then all that went by the wayside. It means nothing. And if one truth of the Bible doesn't play out, then how many other things aren't true? Can we believe anything in the Bible? What, what can we believe? So, without Joseph being his stepdad and without the idea of Jesus being born of the Holy Spirit, God's own son, we might as well just throw away the virgin birth, his substitutionary death, his resurrection, the promise that he's going to come one day again and gather us up to heaven and take us into eternity, all that stuff just goes away. One simple truth, the virgin birth. If Jesus is not the son, uh, son of God, then his death could not be a substitute for our sin, of course. We'd have no hope of being resurrected, have no hope of eternal life. It's hard for us to separate that Jesus was divine from his human existence. We cannot take one and leave the other. We either must accept both or we need to say neither of those things are true. We believe all what the Bible says or we believe nothing at all. So as we wrap things up here today, one verse of the Bible, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, what good news is in that one verse. Of course, we read a little bit more than that today, but the question is this. To all of us, is this really good news? Do you consider this good news? Jesus is Messiah King, and he came to earth to destroy what the enemy started. This series, we kind of started that out that way, talking about that was the reason Jesus came to earth. He was to come to earth and destroy um, sin. He's Messiah. Because he's the Messiah King, he's mighty enough to defeat the devil and reign for all of eternity. 
Because the Bible is true, Jesus is the Son of God, a fact. And he came to remove the guilt and the shame of our sin. Jesus died in the place of unworthy sinners like you and like me. And because he's God's son, he's the sinless, his sinless death was sufficient payment for our sin. So Matthew's gospel is truly good news. I hope it is good news for you because I know it's good news for me. I needed to be reminded of some things this week. I needed to be reminded of these things this Christmas season with so many things taking our focus off of who Jesus is. So the question is, what do you believe about Jesus? Fair question, right? What do you believe? Is he for your forever Messiah? Is he your forever King? Do you believe that? Is he the Son of God? Is he your Savior? Each and every week, we take a little bit of time at the end of our service to think about things that were said, hopefully, by the Lord. And as always, I always offer that. If you are sitting here today or even online later in the week, and God has spoke to you and said, you are not mine. You are still in disbelief. I always offer this to you. Can I point you to him? The scriptures point to him. But if you need a little help and you just want to pray together and say, I'm not exactly sure what all this entails. It's fairly simple. It's a humbling of ourselves. Admitting that we are sinners. No, no need to be saved if you're not a sinner because that's who he came to save. We know that the penalty of sin is death, not death, immediate death in the sense of our physical being, right? But spiritually, we die immediately being sinners. That's what happened to Adam and Eve. But God's promise is to bring us alive immediately inside spiritually. But then one day in all of eternity when when he calls us all home, we will live with him in eternity forever. That's why he's called the Messiah forever king. If you are not sure that this is you, I would love to pray with you. I'd love to help you. I'd love to point you to Jesus. I have no ability to save you whatsoever, but he does. So I offer that this morning. Let's take a few minutes to pray. Think about what God has said through Matthew. And then I'll come back and we'll close our gathering together. Let's pray.
Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the good news. Where would we be without a record like Matthew's that tells us that you loved us so much you sent your son, that you did not want to be eternally separated from us forever and ever and ever. God, just thank you for that good news. I want to thank you, Lord, that even though the, the price was so great through the giving of your son, you did, you did it anyway. For sinners like us, those that were in once in disobedience, were listening to the lies of the devil and just going by that wide path. But Lord, you're full of grace, you're full of mercy, and you're waiting. If there's, I know your heart, Lord, it's, it's all throughout the Bible. If there's anyone still has not committed to you, you're waiting for them to come to you. I pray, Lord, that the Spirit, your Spirit, is moving somebody today to go towards you, come towards you, come to salvation. Thank you, Lord, for our time together. We so love you. We so worship you. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So as you go, remember, Nick had a couple options for you to invite others to church um, Christmas Eve and the day before to that multi-church event. Please, on your way out, grab a couple of those, pass them out. Uh, be talking to everybody about Jesus this Christmas holiday. Yeah, Christmas trees are important. I love our tree at home. But as we learned today, um, the ancestry tree means a lot too. And we need to tell people about him. So as you go on your way, tell people about Jesus. Love you. See you next week.